Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files. Links for you to subscribe to the podcast and a place where you can donate to keep this service special, uh, special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Yvonne. Hi, my name is Yvonne. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Yvonne. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm nervous. My heart is pounding like I've never felt it pound before. Um, you know, and it's not the Internet that scares me. It's, it's the people um, that have more recovery than I do here. I'm very intimidated. A lot of you here I've heard spoke and I admire. Um... <coughs> And I always want to say something that will change the newcomer or be so profound that they'll be obstinate for the next 20 years, and I don't have it. So if you don't hear it tonight, keep coming back, and hopefully you will hear it. Uh, I'm just going to follow the typical format of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, I came into OA June... Well, I came into actually another food program June 21st, 2008, and I took their abstinence, and I've been abstinent ever since. Um, I kind of wish I would have known that that was going to be my abstinence date because I probably would have had a nice big old meal the night before, but I kind of was naive when I came into these programs. Um, I came in at 211 pounds, and I wanted to lose weight. Um, and I thought I had to be abstinent to come to the meeting. I thought it was like AA, you couldn't, well, now I know you can come into AA drunk, but I didn't know that at the time. So um, the program I started in, their abstinence was no sugar, no flour, so the night before I practiced, sort of like thought to see if I could do it. So I came in actually the night before abstinent, not knowing it, and I heard hope. I saw people, I saw 100-pounders stand up at meetings and share their hope and what their life was like, and they had kept it off, and I wanted it. And at that point, I had half a day, and I didn't know if I could ever get that back, and that's kind of how it continued for the next four years. I have toyed with the thought of having sugar or flour or something, you know, but I just don't know that I could get it back. So... um I continue to be abstinent one day at a time. So what it was like, I came in at 211 pounds. I was a size 18, squeezing into a size 16 because I didn't want to be an 18. Um, And those were 16 stretch pants. (laughs) Um, I remember coming to this first meeting. I sat where Ed was, and Michael sat in that empty chair, and... And I share this because it's an inspiration. Michael's always been an inspiration to me. It's like nobody sat in between because they couldn't. (laughs) I was over 200. I don't know what he was. He was in OA a few months before me. But as I kept coming back, I saw the program working for him. I saw it physically. I saw it in every area of his life. And to this day, every time he shows up, he's inspiring. And many of you, too. Um... 
So, you know, people often go back in their childhood because, you know, we have 40 minutes, so I can. <laughs> um, I don't know if I was born a compulsive eater. I was born with a hefty appetite. Um, I was born into a family in Pennsylvania. My mom comes from a family of 11 kids. She used to be Amish, and we were just talking about that before the meeting. Um... It's a long line of compulsive overeaters. There are some large people in the Amish lineage, um, <laughs> to say it nicely. And hopefully my mom will never listen to this. So I know no Amish people will listen to this, so I'm, <laughs> I'm okay there. But just to give you an example of what I was born into, um, my mom is about 5'1". She's probably close to 200 pounds, and she's one of the smaller women in her family. I have some aunts who are well over 300 pounds, and I can't say if they're compulsive overeaters, but it, it certainly looks like that. My dad, when he was born, he was born 13 pounds. So I don't, you know, it's not like I'm going to come out and be a size 2 very easily. And all my life, I wanted to be a size 2. I'm 5'7". I know there's people that are 5'7", and they're a size 2. Um, my disease was wanting to be something I wasn't. Just to give you an example, um, in the 70s, those of you who are my age or older probably remember Dorothy Hamill, the figure skater, and she had this beautiful straight hair, and when she spun, it just, like, swished around. So I go to the hairdresser, and I give a picture because I wanted the Dorothy Hamill. Well, she didn't tell me that curly-haired people don't get the Dorothy Hamill. So she cut it like the Dorothy Hamill, and I ended up looking like a poodle. My bangs shrunk up to here, and I was devastated. But I did that all my life, wanting something that I wasn't. Um, and I think, you know, and it goes to the compulsive eater, wanting to feel something that I don't feel, wanting to feel perfectly balanced all the time. And it's only until I came into OA that I realized to accept where I'm at. Um, I also, you know, and, and it still goes recently. You know, I've, I look at, like, Jennifer Lopez, who has this beautiful brown sugar eyeshadow. For about the past five years, I've been looking for this perfect brown eyeshadow. And every time I put it on, it doesn't look like Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> and I can't figure it out. And I finally went to this last time, and I asked for this beautiful brown eyeshadow. And she said, honey, you don't get that. You don't have the same coloring as Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> and I wish somebody had told me these things when I was little. It's like, I don't, I don't get the Dorothy Hamill. I don't get to wear skinny jeans because, you know, I come from a big line of German big calf people. I look silly in skinny jeans. I'd like to tell some other people that they don't get it either. And so, you know, I'm, I'm moving into acceptance. <laughs> or so I think. I'm still not there. But anyway, I came in at 211. What happened was... Um, I was about to turn 43 years old, and my back hurt. And I know a lot of you have heard my story, but my back hurt, my legs hurt. 
I remember walking through Ikea with a friend, and I literally couldn't. I had to sit down after 20 minutes. And I remember sitting there thinking, what am I going to be like at 70? If I'm sitting down now, what am I going to be like at 70? So then after that, we went to In-N-Out, and I had a double cheeseburger, (laughs) fries, and a Coke, because that's what worked. Um, And going back, you know, I, I tried. I don't think I tried everything, but I tried a lot. I remember... So I've been in OA four years. So back then, Oprah was big. Oprah was still on TV, and she talked a lot about emotional eating. So I went to a therapist, and I wanted to figure out why I was eating. I knew it was emotional. But I thought it was kind of like one thing. If I figured out that one thing, like maybe, and I don't mean to make light of this, but this is this is what my mind did. Maybe I was molested as a child and I don't know it. That's why I was eating. <laughs> well, that wasn't it. You know, and I go to, I went to therapy and, you know, he did this hypnosis and um, years before that, my brother-in-law was killed in a car accident and it came out in therapy, you know, that I was still hanging on to stuff about that and you know I had a big cry in therapy and um, I thought that was it you know I had this big emotional release I thought that was why I was overeating because it was sort of like from 35 to 43 is when I started gaining weight and I thought that was it so I had a big emotional you know cry in therapy and I stopped going I lost five pounds I thought that was it at that time I was 175 pounds so I stopped going and then you know years later when I got up to 211 pounds I realized that wasn't it and it's funny that therapist recommended OA to me and that was years before I got into OA but I didn't come to OA because I thought it was a bunch of middle-aged fat women sitting around complaining about their weight because God bless her that's what my mom did you know my mom yo-yo dieted all her life and I didn't want to be like that my mom has a lot of great qualities in case she's listening Um, but I didn't want that I didn't want to be like my aunts and all my life I was athletic so you know I would yo-yo up and down 10 or 15 pounds you know 15 in the winter in Pennsylvania, I would gain 10 or 15, and then in the summer, I'd get out and exercise, and I would I would release it. But something happened around 35 where I just kept going up and up. And I don't know what it was. Um, you know, and I remember hitting 170 pounds and thinking that was it. Somebody shared last night at a meeting, he said, when he hears himself say this, he knows he's in trouble okay, this is how I'm going to do it. (laughs) And that's what I did. I hit 170 pounds. I wrote it down. Okay, this is how I'm going to do it. And I wrote down what I was going to do. I must have joined the YMCA. They probably have $1,000 in my initiation fees because you have to pay $150 to start, and then you go month to month. I do that. I wasn't going, so I quit. And I must have done that. I don't know, six or seven times, and I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. And when I, now when I, I, when he said that, it's like, yeah, that doesn't work. This is how I'm going to do it. Isn't working. Um, I've tried LA weight loss. I remember going to LA weight loss, 
and I thought I was at 190 pounds, and I go in for the weigh-in, and they weighed me at 204. Well, surely something was wrong with their scale. <laughs> but what I was doing on my scale, it was one of those little dial things, so I would just turn it back and then tap it really good to, like, shimmy it. <laughs> anyway, I thought I weighed 194. But that still wasn't my bottom. It's like none of this was my bottom. I don't know... You know, I would write down 170, this is my bottom. I would write down 180, this is my bottom. 190 was my bottom. Surely 204 was my bottom. You know, like 200 for, for me was big. I was used to being about 140, 150. And these are my numbers. I, I, I hate to use numbers, but I'm sharing them because they mean something to me. And just to give you an example of how really it doesn't matter, when I was gaining weight and I hit 170, I thought I was the fattest pig in the room. When I was 211 and I lost and I was getting down to 170, I thought I was the cat's meow. You know, I really did. I thought I was looking good. So it doesn't matter. It's just what these numbers did in my head. Um, you know, I've tried not eating breakfast. I, you know, I shared last night at a meeting... You know, I, I really was baffled at why I gained weight. You know, I had a small breakfast. Um, you know, I just ate a little bit of cake. I just ate a little bit, you know, but it was... I remember my boyfriend saying, you know, I was really bothered by my weight, and he would say, but you don't eat a lot. And I, I know. But I was doing it all day long. Um, and just to show you, you know, it's like, I remember... I tried everything. I didn't like the way my face looked, so I went and I got my teeth fixed. And I got porcelain veneers in, and I had to do these whitening trays. And the dentist said to put the trays in, I think it was like an hour, 45 minutes or an hour at night, and you can't eat or drink anything. I thought that was nearly impossible. How could I not eat anything for an hour at night? I could do it at work, but I'm not going to walk around with these teeth whitening trays. I, I just, and I didn't know anything was wrong with that. It was really cunning and baffling to me. I think if I, I know I hear people who are bingers. I think if I had been a binger, that would have been obvious to me. I think my disease really wanted to trick me and just slide those little things in there. I'd, you know get a chocolate croissant at coffee bean, not thinking, you know, it, it, other, so other thin people have it. But I don't know what they were doing the rest of the day. I mean, I was doing it three times a day at least. Um, and it wasn't until I put the food down that I realized why I was eating. And it wasn't just one emotional thing. It wasn't because I had a terrible childhood. It wasn't because I was molested. It wasn't because my brother-in-law died. It was because I didn't want to feel whatever I was feeling. Um, I wanted to be comfortable all the time, and food worked. It made me feel comfortable in that moment. But it soon became a point where the pain outgrew the comfort, and I knew I needed something. And what happened was... Um, I remember being in Ikea and saying that prayer, God, I need help. I need help, and I didn't know what to do anymore, but I knew the, what I was doing wasn't working. And I said that prayer, and I was, I was led to a lady at work who is a 100-pounder. 
She was, I think, 50, 53 at the time, so she was older than me. Uh, and she had kept it off for six or seven years. And I had been working with her for a year or two before I found that out. So it wasn't until I said that prayer <coughs> that I found out about this lady. And I went to her and asked her what she was doing. Um, and she started with no sugar, no flour. Oh my gosh. I can't swear, can I? <laughs> I was like, you, you can edit it, Ed. I was like, fuck, I can't do no sugar or flour. <laughs> Sorry, Ed. <laughs> but that was my thought. It's like, I can't do that. I'm not a granola person. I eat, you know, meat and potatoes and, you know, good Amish apple dumplings. And we used to have pie for dinner, of all things. I mean, literally, one, an Amish meal would be apple pie with milk and then you sprinkle sugar on the apple pie. Like, why are you putting sugar on the apple pie? Um, breakfast would be, this was a poor man's breakfast. If we ran out of cereal, we would have, we would tear up pieces of white bread, pour milk, and sugar. And it wasn't like a sprinkling of sugar. It was like a crust of sugar so you could scrape it off the bowl at the end with your milk. Like, that was a good meal. Um, so when she said that, I'm like, I can't do it. But she had something I wanted. She had a sense of peace about her. Um, she also had the weight loss. There was just something about her that I kept going back, and I kept going back and asking her. So when you go to a party, you don't have cake? No. So when somebody offers you something, you don't take it? No. And she was just so gentle. She never said, this is what you should do. This is for everybody. This is the greatest thing. She said, this is what works for me. And when she compared it like alcohol is to an alcoholic, something, something inside lit up. Like my brother is a nutrition freak. Oh, sorry. He's a nutrition expert because he might be listening. <laughs> sorry. Um, and he's always been telling me to cut back on the sugar, the flour, the processed food. You know, and he's fit. Um, and somehow he can do it on his own. Um, but I couldn't cut back. I, I knew it. I knew what to do. I must have, you know, I probably could have had a degree in nutrition. I knew all the right answers it's just when I got in those moments in life of, oh, fuck it, I ate whatever was in front of me. I mean, I shopped at Whole Foods. I bought organic food. I did all the right things. And then on the way home, I would drive through McDonald's because um, it was what I wanted at the time. Sorry. Um, but when she compared it like alcohol is to an alcoholic, Something lit up inside of me, and I really think that was God. It was like I knew people in my life who were recovering alcoholics, and I had respect for that. So when she said sugar and flour are like that, I took it seriously. And thank God for that, because I, I still do the no sugar, no flour, and I hear people say they don't want to restrict. I think if I had come into OA and listened to what everybody had... I would have picked no purging. <laughs> I would have. I haven't thrown up probably since I'm five, but that would be my abstinence. I can do that. 
But thank God I was led to this woman, and and she had a food plan, so I had boundaries around my food. Um, the other thing, the thing that helped me in the first couple weeks, because I'm be honest, it was not easy. In the beginning, I white knuckled it. In the beginning, I didn't know if I could make it another day. I remember, like day three, I was pumping gas, and I looked across the intersection, and there was a McDonald's, and. I had physical cravings for that. I wanted. I felt like I needed that. I felt like I was going to die if I didn't have that. And that's that's the honest truth. And I don't know what got me out of that intersection and home, but I got home and I made a call. And I called somebody and I was crying and I said, I don't think I'm a compulsive overeater. And she said, I even forget what she said, but it's kind of like, well, look at yourself. You're crying because you can't have McDonald's. <laughs> you know, that's, that's something to look at. And, you know, she had me make a list of things that comforted me. And I went and I did one of those things on the list because food comforted me. I needed to find something else that comforted me. And I think of that woman to this day, um, I should go back to that meeting and thank her because that probably saved my life. I think if I hadn't come into OA, right now I probably would be 300 pounds. I really would. And that's one of the things that scared me to get me into OA was the way I was going, I could hit 300 pounds easily. And I had many aunts that had been there. And I always prided myself my entire life that I wasn't like them. I was the athletic one. I was the thinner one. Um, you know, back in Pennsylvania, size 10 or 12, you're thin. Here in L.A., you're fat. But back there, being a 10 or 12, you know, I was I was thin. And I didn't want to be like that. But I knew it scared me. I knew I could get to that. The other thing that helped me the first couple of weeks to stay abstinent is I work with kids. And I work with a lot of... I see a lot of kids who are let go and do everything they want to do, and it's not pretty. I had parents in my office telling me I can't get my child to school. They're five. The child was five, and they couldn't get to school. They don't listen to what I say. They're five. You know, and I had to treat myself as I would treat a spoiled child. A spoiled five-year-old child will want ice cream and cake and all of that. And that was inside of me. That had been, that child was run rampant for the past seven years. I mean, I, people say they're restrictors. I don't understand that. The past seven years before OA, I could not restrict. If I wanted it, I had it. I mean, I would try, you know, maybe a day or two or a meal or two, but, you know, if the craving got too bad, I had it because it was easier than dealing with the temper tantrum inside of me. I wanted it. Um, and I've heard people say in here, you know, they don't want to give up sugar because it creates a monster. Yeah, I was a monster in the beginning. I did not want to give it up. But, again, I think this was God and my higher power. It was... Somehow it clicked in my mind that I needed to treat myself like a spoiled child. And the best thing I knew to a child is to say no and mean it, no matter what. 
and I just kept saying no to myself. And I knew enough that if you say no long enough and mean it, they will stop. I mean, and they, they do because, you know, I've worked with, I've worked at a school with 1,100 kids. I mean, it worked over and over. Um, some of them definitely gave me a run for my money, but if you set boundaries with kids, you know, in the, in the long run, they love you for it. You know, and I compare it to my mom and dad, and again, if you're listening, I love you both. <laughs> but I loved being with my dad as a child. My mom was chaos sometimes. And then when I look back, I think, what was the difference? My mom would often think, say, well, you do that for your dad. Why do you do that for your dad, but you don't do it for me? Because when my dad said no, he meant no. It was as simple as that. If we asked for something and he said no, you didn't beg, you didn't whine, you just knew he meant no. Whereas my mom, sometimes she really meant it, sometimes she didn't. And that's what I had to do to myself. I couldn't be one of those parents to let me have it sometimes. Um, I had to say no. And, you know, over time it quieted that little spoiled child in me. And eventually the cravings went away. And today I don't have those physical cravings. You know, sometimes I'll have the thought of it, but I don't have the physical craving. And I... I think often of what people in meetings say. One time a lady said she was a sugar addict, and she said, I might be able to have sugar, but it's kind of like skating on thin ice. I'm, if I fall through, I might pop back up, but I might not. And I listen to people who come back from relapse and share the pain of going out and the pain of coming back. And that's what keeps me abstinent today. I don't know if I could get it back, honestly. I really don't. I don't know if I could do it again. So today, I stay abstinent. Um, And what helps me today to stay abstinent is I come to meetings. I do the step work. I don't even know why I have notes here. I'm not even looking at them. (laughs) But it looks good, doesn't it? (laughs) All it says is, what is it like now? (laughs) Um... I do the step work. I don't do it perfectly. There's nights where I turn on the TV and I don't want to pick up that pen. But when I notice my food, when the food is calling to me, I start to think, oh, yeah, you haven't written for a while. You know, and I go back to that. I hear a lot of people say OA has changed their life. Um, OA has changed my life, but it's God who's changed my life. And I'm going to talk about God. You call your higher power whatever you call it. I I call it God. Um, But that's what changed my life. OA has reminded me to go to my higher power. Um, I'm, I'm truly, truly grateful for this program. I have done... I have done years of therapy. I have done years of personal growth workshops. I And this is not to brag, but this is just to show you how this disease is so powerful. I have a master's in education. I even have a master's in spiritual psychology. <laughs> because all my life I was trying to figure myself out. All my life. 
I wanted a better way. And I spend a lot of money finding a better way, and I wouldn't change any of that because it's all helped me once I came into OA. In my spiritual psychology program, I remember at the end of the second year, we had to do a, a project, and you had to pick a project that would change your life or something that would be dramatic. And it's interesting. I was thinking of it when I was driving here. Part of my project was public speaking and weight loss. <laughs> so I joined Toastmasters, and I, I didn't call it a food plan then, but I, I lost weight, and I felt great. I was feeling confident about myself. I, there's many times in my life I felt great. But I didn't relate it that you had to keep doing it. I stopped. It was like going to the gym. I've gotten fit so many times going to the gym, and then I'd stop. It's like it never clicked in like this is a lifetime process until I came to OA. When I came to OA, it's like, oh, you don't graduate. You don't get a degree and then stop. It's like you keep coming back. You know, my mom has even asked me, how, how long are you going to keep going to those meetings? And I said, you know, Mom, how long are you going to keep going to church? You know, it's like that. It's like you don't stop going to church or, you know, even the gym or, you know, whatever you want to do. It's like it doesn't stop. So I hope I'm here in 20 years. You know, people that, you know, come back 20, 30 years, it's like I hope I'm one of those. I can't say that I will be because... You know, my ego gets into it and, you know, tries to talk me out of it. You can do this on your own or uh, you're not a compulsive eater. They're much worse than you. They have two boxes of cookies, you know. You, you don't do that. You know, but we all have it in a different way. For me, it was grazing. Um, so today, you know, I, I sponsor. I when I say that, it's like I don't feel like I know how to sponsor, but I raise my hand and I sponsor. Uh, I have people who have lasted a day. I have people who have lasted a week. My most recent sponsee, um, I've had her for a couple of months now, and it seems to be going well. But there's often times where I think, I, I don't know. I don't know how to do it for her. The only thing I know is what I do, and I try to share that. I work the steps to the best of my ability. I pray. I meditate. I don't feel like I'm great with that, but I do my best. You know, I, I meditated before this pro or before this um, meeting because I know things go better when God works through me. Things go better when I let go. And I'll just give you an example with that right now. About a year ago, I lost my job, and I work in education, and I love my job. I love working with kids. It's my passion. And I was let go because of the budget cuts. Um, and I really, you know, at first I felt like God was punishing me, or like, God, why would you do this, you know? And But I just kept faith, and I kept listening to spiritual inspiration, and I just kept taking the next step in front of me and one of the the only thing that was showing up was substitute teaching and I swore I would not substitute teach you know I was the person who was in the office um, 
you know, it felt like a demotion to me, but it was what was in front of me, and it got me back with kids, and I did it. And some days I loved it, and some days I hated it. And I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned I don't like middle school kids. <laughs> I went to seventh grade one day, and nobody told me it was Compton. They called it Long Beach. It was freaking Compton. <laughs> Um, and but and there was one week where I kept getting calls for seventh grade, seventh grade. And you know I get called the night before and I would decline, I would decline, and I would cry. And I would say, God, if you want me to do seventh grade, then put it in my heart. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't want to do it. But I was willing, or I was willing to be willing. Um, I I really wasn't. And then I got a job offer um, to substitute teach at a K-8 school, which is K through 8th. But the beauty of it is, I'll go back. The night before I got that offer, I had talked to a woman who I respect, and I asked her, would you do middle school? And she said, not anywhere, not anytime. And something in my heart just rang true to me like this was not my passion I'm going to say no and the next day I got a job offer at a K-8 school and I asked would I have to work with middle school kids and they said yes and as clear as day I said no no thank you but if an opening comes up and I specifically asked for my old school which is kindergarten through fifth I would take it she said well that's already been filled okay thank you well make a long story short by Tuesday I was back at my old school substitute teaching and I've been there from March until now so I get to go and work with kindergartners through fifth grade which I love they're saying it's temporary I mean it's only through the end of July so I know I'm going to go through this again but I have to remember (coughs) that God takes care of me I have to remember that it's going to be okay And as I see Mike sitting there, I remember you saying, work begets work. And I just, you know, I'm just, whatever's in front of me is what I'm doing. And, you know, a beautiful thing happened yesterday in a third grade class. A a kid raised his hand and he he asked me why I went on vacation. And I'm like, what? Like July 4th? No, you, you left for a while and came back. Why'd you go on vacation? So I go into this long speech of the difference between getting fired and being laid off. And, you know, he looked all confused. And then somebody was sharing last night at a meeting, and I thought, you know what? It was a vacation. It was a vacation from God. I needed a vacation. I, I needed a break. I went kicking and screaming. So if anybody's unemployed or loses something, you know, Maybe you can look at it as God's giving you a break. It's not a punishment. Um, And I might have another God-given vacation in a month. (laughs) And hopefully I can remember that everything happens for a reason. And that's what OA reminds me. OA reminds me of my faith. And to to just keep coming back keep surrendering surrender isn't a one time process I have to keep surrendering over and over because I take my will back all the time you know I want a job I want benefits I want you know all of this but the beauty in what I'm doing now is I'm getting paid the same 
and I'm working less hours. And I noticed the other night when I was driving home, my shoulders used to be really tense. My shoulders aren't as tense anymore. I don't get as many headaches. I mean, I still want to go back to that, but um, not back to that stress part, but back to that job, but do it um, maybe a little differently, maybe with more meditation and more guidance from God. That would be my plan. So I'm going to open it up for questions and end it there. I, I do want to just do one quote. Um, this real and this this has applied to me. It's it says, "Let your no be no, and let your yes be yes." It's like if you say no, mean no. If you say yes, mean yes. And that has really helped me. Um, so I'll open it up to questions. Thank you. Okay, so the question was, um, talk about some of the amends I made and how that has helped my recovery. Um, You know, when I came to Step 9, I I heard dramatic stories of, you know, people going back to childhood stuff, making amends. Um, I didn't have anything dramatic. I I was a people pleaser growing up. (laughs) So... I pretty much tried to keep my side of the street clean and yours, you know. (laughs) So what I had to learn to do was stop cleaning up your side of the street, Um, yours and, you know, in general, or, um, you know, just taking care of myself that I don't need to take care of everybody else. You know, so a lot of the amends, and I know it might sound like hogwash, but I believe it, I had to make to myself be kinder to myself. Um, the serenity prayer helps me with, you know, the changes I can make are in myself. You know, I remember making an amends to my mom, kind of apologizing for how I treated her, and she was like, what? You know, it, but it wasn't like one thing. It was, you know, just getting snitty with her over time or getting impatient. So my amends, I try to do living amends. So when I know, like, I'm probably my mom took the brunt of my um, irritability, I now try to be of service to her as best as I can. And that sometimes looks like when I'm getting irritated from her, with her to let it be okay that I walk away from her so I don't stay in it and make it worse. Um, I'm trying to think of another amends. You know, there were some things that I stole in college, you know, like silverware and stuff from the cafeteria, so I I make a contribution to that college. Um, I really don't have anything dramatic. You know, I'm doing the steps over again, so it might come up this time something I forgot, but I'm really trying to do more living amends. And changing myself because I believe you know we can all say sorry but if you keep doing it over and over again um, it's not an amends and it's funny I work with kids and I make them do amends and I call it making amends and I tell them you need to keep your side of the street clean you know (laughs) I use the lingo and (laughs) you know sometimes I want to hand out 12-step cards like (laughs) you might need this later (laughs) but you know, I try to just be a different person. Yeah. What do I do to surrender something? I pray. 
And it's sometimes it's just saying, God, I am willing to be willing. Like if I don't feel willing, I am willing to be willing. I pray, let go, let God. You know, and I was thinking that on the way here. Why isn't it let God and then let go? Because let God and then let go doesn't require faith to me. Letting go first requires faith. And I kind of see it like God is here and I'm hanging on to a monkey bar. You know? And I want God to come up so that I can let go. But I have to let go and know that God is there to catch me. So that's what I pray for. To let go and let God. Thank you.